0: This is the Raising Freethinkers podcast. I'm Dale McGowan, editor and co-author of Raising Freethinkers and Parenting Beyond Belief, books for raising compassionate, curious kids without religion. This is the second of a three-part series on fear. In the north of England, beneath the amber waters of the River Tees, lives a creature named Peg Powler. Peg is a river hag with green skin and jagged teeth who lives in the foamy yellow rapids of the Tees. Wander too close to the river's edge, goes the mother's warning, especially near that foam, and Peg will have you by the ankle. She'll yank you below the water and eat you up, flesh, bones, and all. Peg is said to end the meal with a ghastly belch of yellow foam. Not all English rivers are home to homicidal monsters. When Londoners personified the Thames River, they chose Old Father Thames, a kindly, Bearded Familius, who protects navigation and keeps to himself, and no wonder. The Thames is little more than an ambitious creek for half its length and then broadens to become the Henry VIII of rivers, stately, fat, and slow. There's rarely any difficulty outwalking the current, and foamy rapids are non existent. But the Tees drops at a rate twenty times faster than the Thames roaring through narrow rocky vales to produce coursing rapids and three of the biggest waterfalls in Britain. It makes for an unforgiving swim. In addition to fast undercurrents and depth up to 15 feet, the water is really cold. Someone falling into it gasps involuntarily, one of the most common causes of drowning. That's why the legend of Peg Powler was born on the banks of the Tees, not the Thames. It's a warning legend created to scare children safe. It makes sense that Peg is said to live in the foam, which marks the most dangerous spots in the river. And the occasional drowning just reinforces the legend. You find these warning creatures wherever there are parents and water. Inuit islanders in Alaska warn their children of Tizaruk, an enormous sea snake that snatches kids from shore with its tail. In Serbia, there's Bukovac, a six-legged lake-dweller that jumps from the water to strangle passers-by. And again, there's a culinary preference for the young. Even as water-starved a region as Aboriginal Australia has a water-dwelling child-eater called the Muljawonk, living in the Murray, one of the few major rivers on the continent. But of all the water-warning legends on Earth, it's hard to beat the Kappa of Japan for inventiveness. The Kappa is mostly a harmless trickster spirit who loudly passes gas and looks up women's kimono. But the kappa is said to snatch the occasional child from a riverbank, drag him or her below the water, and, as if all this weren't dissuasive enough, to suck out the child's internal organs through the anus. To this day, many Japanese towns and villages post illustrated signs along the banks of rivers and lakes warning children to beware the kappa. Hopefully not too illustrated. There are childhood dangers other than water, of course, and a bestiary of useful monsters has been bred to terrify children into avoiding these as well. Russian and other Slavic mothers have traditionally warned their little ones not to wander off in public places, for fear of Baba Yaga, a witch who preys specifically on lost children. Dropping from the sky in a flying mortar and pestle, Baba sweeps the lost ones off their feet and takes them to her hut on chicken legs, which is surrounded by a fence built from the bones of her tiny victims. Several eastern African countries lace childhood with a continuous anxious dread. In Upper Egypt, parents warn of the Siloua, which is said to pass through villages from its home in the hills at dusk to get a drink at the Nile, dining on children along the way. Kids are warned not to look at their own shadows, lest they go insane, and are told to chant passages from the Quran whenever passing certain haunted places, which seem to occur every ten steps in most villages. Kenyan toddlers who will not nurse are set outside in the dark while the mother calls loudly from the hut for the Manani, Wild beasts to come and eat the child. Eucalyptus trees in Australia, called widowmakers for their tendency to suddenly lose enormous branches, are said to shelter vicious man eating koalas called drop bears for their practice of dropping and dining on those who camp beneath the tree. The child munching hisi of Finland live in and around crevices, large boulders, and the edges of cliffs, while the Polish ghoul, Powodnice, causes trespassing children to become hopelessly lost in cornfields. Warning legends tend to involve a kind of cost-benefit analysis. The cost to the child in fear and mental anguish is weighed subconsciously against the potential for harm, and protection from dangers real or parentally imagined usually wins. Drowning in English rapids is worse than trespassing in Polish fields, so the former gets an underwater disemboweling while the latter gets off with an afternoon lost in the cornstalks. A disturbing example of this balance can be found in Brazil, where an alligator demon called the Cuca is said to wander villages at siesta time to find and eat children who are not sleeping. a popular lullaby, captures the spirit of the folktale. Sleep, baby, because the kuka wants to take you. Daddy goes to the garden. Mommy comes straight back. The Guarani of Paraguay offer their children an upgrade to the tale of Yasi Yatare and Au, Au Like the kuka, Yasi Yatere wanders villages at siesta time in search of children lying awake. Though invisible as he stalks his prey, he suddenly shows himself at the bedside of an unsleeping child and casts the offender into a helpless trance. Yasi then leads a procession of children thus captured to a cave in the forest where he blinds them with thorns and then feeds them to his brother Au Au, a cannibalistic sheep man with enormous fangs. Of course, there's nothing as futile as trying To will yourself to sleep, especially during the day. Now add the self-defeating notion of terrifying a child to sleep. And both the kuka and yasi begin to seem pointlessly cruel and perverse. And they would be, if getting the child to sleep was really the point. But it isn't. The actual intention is not to enforce the nap, but to prevent children from wandering out of their beds into the very real dangers of the forest as their parents sleep. A daily dose of psychic terror is better than the fate that awaits a child lost and alone in the forest. Now, it's easy for me, sitting in my North American subdivision, to say that nothing justifies immersing kids in nightly terror. But I have any number of ways of preventing my own kids from coming to harm in the middle of a nap. Locking our doors and living 4,000 miles from the nearest wild pit viper, to name only two. If fear were necessary to keep my children alive, I'm sure I'd resort to it. The book Landscapes of Fear by Yi Fu Tuan describes adults in many cultures who carried generalized anxiety as well as specific fears of the night, forests, and even sleeping throughout their lives. But protective monsters sometimes even fail in their childhood mission because they are specific, while danger is general. A child who learns to fear Peg Powler will not necessarily generalize the danger to other rivers, much less to other risks. On a visit to the Spey in Scotland, no less dangerous but free of the peat-stained yellow foam, a child raised to watch for Peg Powler might happily tempt the waters since the fearful hag is so very far away. By misrepresenting the danger, many supernatural protection myths make children less safe than a reasoned description of real dangers might do. Recent advances in neurology and psychology suggest that a fear-based approach to parenting or education is among the least effective options at our disposal. It works in limited, short-term ways, but fails as a solution to the general long-term problems for which we must prepare our kids. Yet again and again, generation after generation, fear is the first tool we reach for. Continuous anxiety makes us feel vigilant and therefore safe, while in fact, distracting us and making us less safe. Now monster creation is not just a thing of other times and places. The idea that Satan is an actual being who puts dangerous ideas into your head, is just as terrifying as Yasi Yatare and his cannibal brother in a cave. Maybe even more so because Satan's punishments follow you into eternity. But even non-religious parents with the best of intentions are perfectly capable of saddling their kids with unnecessary fear of monsters. The social conversation in the U.S. about child abduction, for example, massively exaggerates the extremely small risk of such a thing throwing our kids into a constant state of anxiety with little benefit. But it's worth it if it keeps them safe, right? Even if the chance is very small, such a thing would be so horrible that a little anxiety is a small price to pay. That's the usual reply. But living with unnecessary fear can have a serious negative impact on kids. That's where the cost-benefit analysis comes in. In exchange for an almost indescribably small increase, in safety, we can do real damage to our kids' well-being. A study by the National Scientific Council on the Developing Child found that early exposure to persistent fear and chronic anxiety can have long-term consequences by disrupting the developing architecture in the child's brain. The amygdala evaluates threats, and the hippocampus facilitates the learned response to fearful stimuli. So both of these structures are vital to our fear responses recognition, and response. Elevated stress hormones like cortisol adversely affect brain architecture in both regions. Translation, being afraid all the time when you're young can damage your long-term ability to recognize and respond to real threats. Remember the block and block study? That's the one that found that anxiety and a high startle reflex in preschoolers correlated highly with political conservatism later in life. You might say that kids who experienced a lot of fear when they were young developed a greater tendency to be afraid of immigrants and gays and people of other races and religions. If that isn't enough reason to raise your kids without persistent fear, I don't know what is. We'll finish up our series on fear next week with an episode called Fear Itself. The Raising Freethinkers podcast is a production of OnlySky Media, exploring the whole human experience from a secular perspective. Join us online at OnlySky.media. Thanks for listening. I'm Dale McGowan. See you next time for Raising Freethinkers.